Last week we considered how Jesus, you know, at the end of his ministry, he looked at Jerusalem and he, he wept over it, you know, and his lament was that they didn't know the time of their visitation. You know, they didn't recognize the season they were in, that the living God came down from heaven to appear before them, you know, to draw them uh, unto himself and to, to lead them into something new. And they didn't recognize that. That was his lament. And, and so, you know, we can recognize as Christians that he's doing the same for us. He's drawing us with cords of love that, that we would respond to him in the season that he wants to meet us in. And uh, so important that we, we recognize that, that, what is taking place and what he wants to do. Now, think of how Job, even though he was going through the hardest situation you can possibly imagine, he recognized that God was doing something. He didn't understand it. He didn't like it, but he recognized it, right? There's multiple phases in that, you know, and he went through the first phase of everything taken, and then the second phase was himself being touched. But, you know, even in the second phase, he recognized God's doing something. And he said this in Job 23.10. He says, but he knows, God knows the way that I take. And when he has tried me, I will come forth as gold. You see, he knew it was a season of deep refining. Um, and why was it so intense? Because God was trying to do something in Job, a deep work, a deep intensity, um, you know, and, you know, we have to remember how heaven describes Job. Uh, we could, you know, you just, it's kind of amazing when you think of this is God's statement about Job is that he was someone perfect and upright. Lord, <laughs> I wouldn't mind that statement. I know I have a way to go there, but, but that was Job, perfect and upright. But God said, Job, I have a season where I want to do something even more. You know, he was one of the, you know, he, he, he feared God. He hated evil. One of the three most righteous men. Uh, but God had a deeper refinement. You know, he was perfect. But, you know, I was thinking about perfection as it relates to us human beings. None of us are perfect in that sense. But yet God's calling us to perfection. But really perfection's a moving target. Right? We could be perfect in the sense that we're perfectly, you know, maturing or we're progressing, right? We're going on with God in, in a perfect manner, meaning we're just responding to Him. We're letting Him do that work. That's perfection. Letting Him do that work of perfection in us, you know, but yet we recognize that it's moving, it's going on. And if we stop, we're ceasing that perfection right? we're no longer perfect in that sense right there's a further training a further work and you know i think we can all understand that from our time in school right maybe some of you like middle school or not but then you get to high school and it's like whoa this is a different different way of doing things right different classes and i have to go to and all that you know there's bells you gotta then you gotta go to a different classroom or things like that or then maybe if you if you feel the call for college then it's even more difficult and different and intense and, and so forth, but it's all to prepare you for life, for a job, for a career. You know, there's different seasons and different ways God wants to move. And it's as we read in Ecclesiastes 3.1 last week, to everything there is a season and a time 
for every purpose under heaven. There's a season. God has his times and his seasons, and he's going to work in various ways. Our goal is to identify that and flow with it to accomplish his purpose. And what is his purpose? Right? What, what's the end goal? If we could summarize that, what's well, actually mentioned, I didn't bring this out last week, but, it, but it's Ecclesiastes 3.11. He has made everything beautiful in his time. That's the purpose of seasons. You know, that's the purpose of, of all the, the different seasons for plants. You know, they go through that because there comes a season when they, it, it, they're fruitful, they're beautiful, they're accomplishing their purpose. God wants to make everything beautiful. If we will accept it and flow with it, he'll do that in us like he did with Job, right? The, the end of Job was that he had everything restored double. And it speaks of the double portion that God wants to do in all of our lives. He wants to give us double for the, the tough seasons we've gone through. You know, I, I was looking at the, the numerology of this. Uh, there's, there's 14 comparisons in Ecclesiastes. Um, I think that's kind of interesting here. Uh, Solomon brings out these comparisons. You know, the no- number 14 represents double perfection, two times seven, right? Or double completion. That's what, like we saw with Job, you know, God gave him double of, you know, and so there's 14 comparisons, you know, Christ achieved the ultimate perfection and it brings something interesting out relating this number 14 to Christ. Um, You know, the gospel of Matthew brings out that there were three sets of 14 associated with him three sets of 14 generations from Abraham to Christ. You know, he had the ultimate completion, divine, you could say, is three is the divine number. And so we want to allow him to take us through every season, every season he has for us, and he'll bring us out and he'll give us double for what, what we've had to go through. And so let's take a, a look at another one of those comparisons. I thought I was going to motor through them and might get even three done this morning, but I only ended up getting one. So I think maybe I'll do better next week. But anyway, we're going to look at one this morning. But it's the it's in verse four, Ecclesiastes three and verse four, it says, there's a time to weep and a time to laugh. There's a time to weep and a time to laugh. And, and so you know, we're, we're here discerning, trying to discern what is God doing in our life? What season are we going through? Now, if we, if we just looked at principle, like, you know, what's the principle of the situation? You know, what, what should I do by principle? I think in a way we'd say, well, it's better to laugh, right? Who wants to cry? What principle says we should cry instead of laugh? Um, now, th- that's true in a sense, is that you know, we do want to have a response of rejoicing, you know, with God in our situations where instead of crying, we laugh. You know, I remember the story Pastor Bailey shared and Sister Bailey, how they were, they were in that dugout canoe in Africa. And uh, they're, I think they were going to a service. So there they were getting ready to minister. And uh, they're a uh, person who was going to row them there in the canoe thought he'd show off and he 
he just jumped off the dock or the bank or whatever and was going to land into the canoe, but he didn't quite hit it right. So he hit the canoe and they all went into the water. I don't know how clean it was, but there they are. Dripping wet, standing in water. I think, I think they described it as they were standing it up to their waist in water. You know, I'm sure they got dunked too. And here they are, going to go to service, and none of us would feel very sanctified at that moment, probably. But he's, it, they were saying at that moment, the Lord spoke to Sister Bailey and said, well, in this situation, you have a choice. You can choose to laugh or you can choose to cry. And they felt, hey, well, it's better to laugh. So they just... They laughed and they rejoiced in God that he was good. And I don't know, maybe they could rejoice. There weren't any crocodiles there at that point. They, they tell other stories how they were in a canoe and there were crocodiles all around. And, uh, but in that, they, they could rejoice that the Lord was with them. And so there's a response of joy that's, that's to, to be our default, right? And so even in seasons of sorrow and stuff, we can still have a response of joy to the Lord, and we might look at that even more later on in the series. But, but there's something else to understand from this is that the context here is the season we're passing through and what God is trying to accomplish. And so, you know, I think we can, we can understand we're all going to go through seasons of sorrow where we experience sorrow, where sorrowful things happen. And, you know, God is trying to say, I want to work in those situations. I want to accomplish something. And so the question is, how do we meet with God in this season? Is it through laughter or through weeping? And I would propose that if it's always laughter, then we're missing out on something. Because if la with laughter, you try to make light of, of the situation where God wants to get at something in our hearts. He wants to, to meet with us in certain things. And there's certain things he wants to do in seasons of weeping you know, in, in Israel, there came a, a time during the days of the prophet Isaiah when they started to lose focus on the Lord, right? They did well under godly kings, but then other kings came like Ahaz, and they started to just focus on, on having a good time and, you know, doing what other nations did and, and so forth. And, and so God wanted to meet with them, and he was speaking through the prophet, and he wanted to bring them back to himself and to the ways of holiness, they were resisting that. And how were they resisting it? It says, it's interesting, Isaiah 22 and verse 12, it says, In that day the Lord of hosts called for weeping and mourning, for baldness and for girding with sackcloth. But instead, here's their response, but instead it was joy and gladness and slaying of the oxen and killing sheep, eating, eating meat and drinking wine and saying, let us eat, drink, eat and drink for tomorrow we perish. Better enjoy life now. Who knows what will happen tomorrow? That was their mentality. The thing is, is God was trying to get their attention. It was a season where he was trying to draw them back to themselves, to holiness. But their response was just to focus on what made them happy, right? Whatever uh, caused them to, to be able to look at the better side of life. Eating, drinking, rejoicing, and so they didn't recognize or acknowledge the season that God was leading them through of dealing with them, of cleansing them, of bringing them back to having a reverence and an awe of his holiness and his presence. 
and they wouldn't receive it. And because of that, they suffered for it later on, you know, through the Assyrians and uh, Babylonians after that. And so, you know, we can kind of look at this aspect of weeping in two ways. You know, it can be a call to repentance when God's dealing with sin. When he, when he gets at something in our heart and he reveals it, you know, our, our, we have two responses. We can say, well, I know, Lord, I need to change. Someday I'll change. And, but that's kind of sad. That's a bummer. I want to rejoice. I want to focus on things that make me happy. That's one response. Or we can, you know, but in the Old Testament, Israelite, the Israelites, when they were uh, a, like a sign of repentance and mourning, they'd take their knife out and they'd take a garment and they would cut a slice in it and then they would rend it. And if so, you saw someone with a rent garment, they were proclaiming to everyone, I'm mourning. I'm mourning because of what's happened to me. And so God is saying, and he actually said that to Israel, is like, don't rend your garments, rend your heart. Allow repentance to come into your heart. You know, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. So, and then he'll lift you up when he's dealt with those areas that he's, he wants to. But our end will be joy if we allow God to do that. You know, through a season of weeping and repentance. Psalm 30 and verse 5 says, His anger, we might experience it if, you know, when we're dealing with sin or correction, you should say. His anger is for a moment, but his favor is for life. Weeping endures for a night, but joy comes in the morning. You know, if we will humble ourselves under his correction and dealing in our lives and in our nature and so forth, the eternal end is joy. So there's, that's one aspect of this season of tears. But, you know, there's, an, there's another aspect uh, that we can consider because there's times when, you know, we're weeping over God dealing with our sin, but there's other times where God is taking us through this kind of a season in order for us to bear fruit, to do something and produce something eternal in our lives, in our hearts. Psalm 126 and verse 5, it says, Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who, go, who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his harvest, his sheaves with him. And so there's, there's aspects of the Christian life that in order for that precious, special fruit to be developed, we go through some unpleasant seasons, you know, and that can be multifaceted. It's not just that we're crying, but it's that, oh, this is such a challenging time. It's such a difficult time, and it's causing me to really cry out to God. And sometimes you do weep saying, Lord, do this. Bring this situation to pass. Develop this in me. Lord, I, I want to be fruitful. And so there's seasons of weeping or bitterness that sometimes we have to pass through because God is producing something in us, doing something, accomplishing something. This can be illustrated by one of the stories that we see in the Gospels. You know, remember the story when Jesus and his disciples, they were pretty far off from Jerusalem, several days travel. They hear that Lazarus is sick. All right, and 
Thing is, Jesus waits. He waits several days. By the time he's ready to go, Lazarus has died. And, you know, the disciples don't fully understand that until he says it plainly in John eleven fourteen. 14. He says, Lazarus is dead. But then here's this kind of, I'm sure it was a puzzling response to them in verse 15. But I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there to the intent that you may believe. Nevertheless, let's go to him. You know, in our natural minds, we look at that statement and we say, Lord, how can you say that? You're glad you weren't there so that he dies and, and they have to suffer the, the pain and the sorrow of seeing their brother dead and, you know, him in the tomb already. But Jesus knew that at the cost of their grief, a mighty miracle was going to take place and cause many to believe. There's something I think so wonderful that we can understand from this story and also from Isaiah's, no matter what season God is asking us to go through, he's already been through it. And not just that, he's there with us. He's walking with us in that season, you know, of sorrow and difficulty. As it says in Isaiah 53 in verse 3, it says, he's a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He's not a stranger to grief or sorrows, you know, because of his life and because of the cross. And he never asks us to walk alone in that, even though we feel alone and we serve a, a, an invisible God and, and he's invisible, but yet he's walking there beside us. And he identified with the grief of Mary and Martha. He didn't take it lightly, right? And we have that remarkable and very profound verse Jesus wept as he behold, beheld their pain and their sorrow they were going through. He was sorrowful with them. He was bearing it with them and he wept. He understood their affliction. And, you know, in our affliction, he is afflicted. That's just something that's hard to even understand. When I'm suffering, when we're suffering and going through it, he is too. Sometimes we think, well, God's off in heaven and I'm here on my own, but we're not. When we're struggling, the Lord feels that. In fact, it's his burden and he wants that burden. In fact, he wants us to give that burden to him and then we can walk beside him and he'll carry it for us and we can go on. But he is the man of sorrows and he's acquainted with grief. And as we meet with him, in those seasons, in those times of sorrow and weeping, he's there bearing it with us. And as we meet him, that it'll produce something precious within us. There's also another uh, verse we can look at in Psalm 84 about how that can produce something good in us. And it describes it, Psalm 84, verse 5, Blessed is the man whose strength is in thee, whose heart in the ways of them who passing through the valley of Baca, which literally means weeping, the valley of weeping. But as they pass through it, it says they make it a well. The rain fills the pools and they go from strength to strength. Every one of them in Zion appears before God. And so there's times that we pass through this valley of weeping. And sometimes we can approach grief and difficulty 
And, and sometimes, you know, we can approach that and we can just kind of like muddle our way through it Ever at a time where you're just kind of, you're, you're having a hard time, but it's, you just kind of get, you just get through it and you come out the other side and you're not different. You know what that means? Going back around the mountain and you're going to try to pass that test again. But, you know, you can go through it a second time or sometimes a third time. You know, and you experience that and somehow you look to the Lord in that and you cry out to him and you meet with him. And through crying out and seeking and knocking and asking, and though even though it's painful and it's bitter and sorrowful, somehow in doing that, it causes a well to be dug in our hearts. It increases our reservoir for God, puts a greater capacity within us to love God to hope in him, to trust in him, to believe that, that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. It increases our faith. It's something that's carved out in us through the tears. And I think what the Lord wants us to understand is there's a, there's a season of weeping, sometimes because of difficulty and hardship that he takes us through. But as we seek him, the fruit of of that season as we increase from strength to strength so that we appear before God in Mount Zion in heaven. And that's why Jesus said in the Beatitudes, and this one we'll look at Luke, Luke 6, 21. There's another way he puts the Beatitudes. He says, blessed are you who are hunger, you'll be filled, but blessed are you who weep now because you shall laugh. You shall laugh. That's the second part of this, the comparison, that there is a time to laugh. Now, I think we can understand there are times and seasons, but our, our response needs to be one of joy and rejoicing and hope, right? Where we can make the choice to, to rejoice in God as the, the Baileys did. But, but how I want to look at it is, is how Jesus, Jesus often shared, is that there is a joy that is birthed out of times of sorrow a joy that's produced that the world can't even comprehend, has no concept of. You know, John 16 and 20, verse 20, he says, most assuredly, I say to you, he's kind of warning us, he's like, that you're going to weep and lament and the world will rejoice and they'll be having a great time and here you are just trying to obey God and follow him and yet you're going through times of, of weeping and sorrow, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. And it will be a joy that the world can't comprehend. Now, of course, that's ultimate, the ultimate fulfillment of that is in eternity. But yet we can believe and taste, believe that, that we'll taste and see that the Lord is good in the land of the living. All right? that, and we can believe that it's as if there's these divine seeds of joy that are planted in us in, in seasons of sorrow. And as we dig our wells and we cry out to God and we trust in him is that that seed grows and one day it comes to maturity and something divine, a divine joy has been birthed within our hearts and it bears forth fruit. Even in this life, it bears forth fruit. Now I think of this concept, I was kind of reminded of the story of Ruth and Naomi. Right? I mean, Naomi experienced tears, didn't she? Right? Many fold, fold tears in the, in the sense that she went to, 
she obeyed her husband and went to the land of Moab and her, then her husband died and her one son died and then her other son died and here she is alone with her two daughter-in-laws and it says she went out full and came back empty. Except she had Ruth. You know, but what a person of character Ruth was. That she came back with her and you know, it was Ruth who was willing to glean the fields and provide food for them both and you know, her beautiful spirit that she had won the heart of Boaz, uh, who later became her kinsman, Redeemer. And then she brought forth a son named Obed, who brought forth a, who became uh, the father of Jesse, who was the father of David. And so, you know, the other women rejoiced at the birth of her grandson, Obed, and they said to Naomi in Ruth 4.15, he said, May he be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is better to you than seven sons, has borne him. And so here's Naomi. Through this experience of weeping, she gained a daughter-in-law and a grandson that produced a line of kings and that caused her to be in the lineage of Christ. And I think, you know, even in our sorrows, God wants to give us that picture of the joy that is before us, the joy that he can produce because Jesus endured because of that joy. And it's like Peter said in, in 1 Peter 1.8, even though we don't see the outcome fully, we can believe in it. And like he says, he says, and rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory because of what he's going to do in our lives. You know, we can know that, and, and we can also know God is rejoicing with us and over us. Right? A, a very remarkable verse, you know, there's only a few descriptions in the Bible of what God does in heaven. But here's one of them in, in Psalm chapter 2. Right? Because we have an enemy that's opposing us and seeking to oppose us from meeting him in the seasons that we're going through. And how does God view that? What does he think of the enemy trying to destroy us, like, like with Job. Have you considered my servant Job? Let, let me touch him. I wonder if Satan left and the Lord just laughed. <laughs> Look at what I'm going to do. I'm going to use him to, to make Job even greater, produce something even more beautiful. When God looks at the, what the enemy is trying to do to destroy us, it's Psalm 2 and verse 4, it says, He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in, in derision. I love that picture. Because that enemy is trying to oppose us, or even maybe there's people trying to oppose us. But what's God doing? He's laughing at the thought of that. They think they can oppose his plan being fulfilled, but it will come to nothing. And that is a joy that he wants us to enter into, a joy that he wants to birth in us as we follow him through the valleys through the different seasons of hardship. Because eventually that pathway is going to lead to the mountaintop of his presence where we go from strength to a strength and appear before God, where we'll sit with him in heavenly places with his perspective and his joy because it's been produced in us. Those heavenly seeds were planted. We followed him. We dug out that well. We watered them. And we had a greater capacity put within us 
of his love, his joy, his peace, his wonderful fruit. And we've gone from strength to strength. And that is how we want to appear before God. Amen. Lord, we, we thank you, Lord. Lord, we, we thank you and we rejoice that every season we go through is in your hands. Lord, our lives and our times are in your hands. Lord, we pray that you would just give us eyes of faith to see, Lord, what you want to do in our lives and what season you're taking us through. And Lord, if it's a season of weeping, Lord, we just pray that you would just accomplish that work. Lord, if it's a cleansing, accomplish it. Lord, if it's to develop one of your beautiful fruits in our lives, oh, do it, Lord. Oh, we want to have your beauty formed in us, Lord, because we declare you are a God who makes everything beautiful in your time. Oh, help us to see the work of beauty you want to do and to respond to you as you would lead us in this season. Lord, we thank you. We bless you. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.